Good morning. Welcome to Mercy Hill Church. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to worship with you all this morning, to open up God's Word together, and to look at another Advent topic. And this week, the topic, of course, is peace. And I got to tell you, this one for me uh, is a little tougher. This is a tougher one. Actually, maybe not tougher, but it is one that I sense in a deep way that I need the peace of Jesus. It's kind of ironic because we get into this season, and this season gets moving rather quickly, doesn't it? Like you, like as soon as, as soon as that that turkey carcass is in the trash, Thanksgiving Day or the day after, boy, does it get moving quick. And in this season, it's hubbub. It's it's go go go. It's spend spend spend. And next thing you know, I'm not full of peace. But instead, I'm stressed out. And I hate it because I'm a pastor. And this is a pretty big deal in the life of the church. This is a pretty big deal in the, in the church calendar. Christmas and Easter, man, these are big deals. And I end up in this season and in this situation going, where is the peace of Jesus in all of this? Anybody else? Anybody with me on that? But today, we look at... The Advent concept, and not even just the concept, but the peace that is in Christ Jesus. That Christ in his Advent, Christ in his coming, he is the coming of hope. He is the coming of love, the coming of peace, and the coming of joy, all in the person of Jesus, the eternal word who put on flesh, He put on the corruptible. He walked this earth, and he's able to sympathize with all of us. All the stuff that you go through, Christ went through himself. All the hurts, all the struggle, all the discord, all the pains that sin has caused in this world, Christ has experienced and can sympathize with us. He sympathizes with you. And he put on that flesh... And he walked this earth to reconcile us, to bring us back into relationship with God. As we looked at love last week, right? It's God reaching, crossing the greatest of divides, right? From heaven to earth, from perfect, from exalted, lowly, down, corruptible earth. He crossed the greatest divide to be our only hope to show us the purest and actual true love. And today, as I said, we look at the coming of Christ and the coming of peace and ultimately what real, real peace is. A lot of times when we look at peace, we think of it just the absence of conflict, right? Like if there's a conflict going on, whether that be a world war or just a spat in your house, in the middle of your kitchen, Right? We think of peace being that absence of conflict. In most modern uses of the word peace, we simply mean that. We mean an absence of conflict where there's no war, there's no feud. But when you look at the biblical concept of peace or the words that the Bible uses for peace, you see something fuller. Whether it be in the Old Testament with the Hebrew word shalom or in the New Testament with the Greek word arene or arenas. The Bible's use of peace is so much bigger than just an absence of conflict. 
You look at that Hebrew word shalom, and actually there's a pretty great video series uh, that the Bible Project did on a word, word studies of these Advent words. Shalom, the Hebrew word, meaning complete or whole. In its most basic form, it means that something is complete. It's not lacking, it's whole. It is full. It is complete in nature. Joshua chapter 8, it actually refers to it in the in building of an, of an altar, of a, of a stone, of stones that are perfect. They're not cracked, they're not, they're not lacking, but they are whole in nature. And that's where they would offer peace offerings. Job chapter 5, he says that his tents are in a state of peace. They're in a state of shalom because all of his animals are accounted for. That nothing was missing, that everything was complete and whole. That word shalom can also reference somebody's well-being, their own heart state, their own mental state. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield and he asked them about their shalom. How's your shalom? How's your state of being? How's your well-being? So this morning, my question for you is, how is your shalom? How's your well-being this morning? How is your state of mind and state of heart when it comes to the idea and what my heart longs for and seeks for? Peace. How's your shalom this morning? In the hustle and the bustle, this busy and expensive time of year, the stress may be creeping up there. How is your peace? When you consider the deeper meaning of the word, you see it in life, right? Because life is complex. There's a lot of complexity to life. All of these little pieces of our life, all these little relationship, relational pieces that we have, that they're supposed to work together. And honestly, they have to work together. So when you have something out of joint or when something is lacking or something is not whole or complete, of course, in our lives, we see and feel the discord. If you're married in here, you understand that sometimes marriage is complicated. Sometimes relationships are very complicated. Maybe you have coworkers that you just don't get along with. They rub you the wrong way. They have said things, and all of a sudden now, you don't even want to walk past their desk. All these little interactions. When things are out of alignment, even small things, when they're broken or cracked, they're in desperate need of restoration, of reconciliation, to take that relationship that was broken, that is broken or severed or, or incomplete or lacking and restore it. So when you use the Hebrew word shalom, you see that there's this completeness or wholeness. And if you use it as a verb, you see even more. It's to make peace. It means to literally make complete or make restoration, to restore something. First Kings chapter 9, Solomon brings shalom to the temple when he finishes it. The book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a relationship, was to be at peace with them. Not just to be okay, not just to be indifferent, not just to have an absence of conflict, avoiding, but it is the presence of unity. Think about that when it comes to enemies. Not just an absence of conflict, but unity with an enemy. This peace was what God wanted for his people. And ultimately, I think what the people of Israel wanted, and I think what we want in our own hearts. Unfortunately, the people of Israel, 
mistakenly, foolishly thought that that would come at the hands of an earthly king. Right? If you remember back in, I think it's 1 Samuel chapter 8, where they demand of God a king, right? They've got the judges that are helping rule over them, and they said, we want a king like all the nations around us. Give us a king, and God reluctantly gives them what they want. And we know how that went, right? You look through the story of Israel, you see how that went. These, often these human kings were foolish and corrupt and sometimes just downright wicked. They would succumb to idolatry and witchcraft like the nations around them. And as a result, you see how Israel was often in conflict. Yes, externally. Yes, with the nations around them, but oftentimes internally amongst themselves. And mostly it was because they were in rebellion to their God. That their lack of peace wasn't just with, with, with the, the Babylonians or the Amorites or whoever it was. It was because they were in rebellion to God. But praise be to God. Our Advent reading this morning, the angelic pronouncement of the good news of great joy that would be for all the people. And with that comes the pronouncement of peace on earth with whom he is pleased. That babe in a manger, the prince of peace, God with us, Emmanuel, coming down to be our peace. Our Advent reading from a couple weeks ago, the prophet Isaiah promises the eternal, the eternal king, King Jesus, the prince of peace, who would, whose governance and peace, there would be an increase in that it would not end. Let's read Isaiah chapter 9 once again. Verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Before we dig in today, let's, uh, let's pray once again. Father God, I come before you. We come before you as a people, as a church. God, I pray for soft hearts in this room. God, for those that are longing for peace today, maybe there are relationships that are out of joint. Maybe there's conflict in their own house. Maybe coming into this season, we know there's going to be interactions with brothers or sisters or parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles that are just going to be awkward and full of conflict. God, cause us to live the gospel. Cause us to be soft. Cause us to lay ourselves down, not just for the absence of conflict, but for the glory of Jesus, for the worship of Jesus. Cause us, God, to live the gospel boldly to the glory of your name, to truly be your people, to truly be your church, not just a label of a group of people on Sunday, but to truly be your chosen people, your church, to the glory of your name only. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're talking about peace and you're talking about relationships, right? Peace is very much a relational quality. 
we see and feel discord or discontentment, like we see it manifest in our relationships, right? Husbands, wives, family members, estranged brothers or sisters, right? And I didn't say strange, right? We got some of those too. Strange brothers and sisters. It manifests itself so much in our relationships, and I like to call that the horizontal, right? We see it here in our life. We see Peace, we see the lack of peace manifest itself in these horizontal relationships. And what I want us to get to today is to really get our eyes off of that stuff. Because most of our problems are not horizontal problems. Most of our problems are vertical problems. It's not a problem with fellow man. It's not a problem with your spouse. It's not a problem with your brother or your, your dad or, or your mom. It's a problem that we have oftentimes with Jesus, mostly his words. It's a problem that we have that originates here in the vertical, not the horizontal. It manifests itself in the horizontal, but the problem is usually a gospel problem. I had a pastor tell me once, I'm like, all problems are gospel problems. They're all gospel problems. It's all an understanding, a belief, and a living out of the gospel, period. Usually when there's discord, or usually when there's a lack of that, it's because my understanding, my thinking is wrong. My theology is wrong. Or maybe it's a theology that I profess with my mouth, but I don't actually live and believe. I think that we have a lot of church people that do that. I do it. I think we have churches full of people who do that. We pay lip service to the gospel, but when push comes to shove, when there's an opportunity to live that out, we fail, we fall short. It's not a principle, it's not a concept that is truly embodied. Now, on the deepest, most basic level, right, it's justification. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And the answer is in my identity series that we had, <clears throat> where there is a longing in each one of us to be right. Not right, not like, not like your husband who has to be right all the time. Not that, not that way. But to be right, to be in a right standing before God. There's a longing in mankind, I believe, put there by God to be right, to be at peace with God. And we know that it's off. When we're outside of Jesus, mankind, I think, has a sense that it's off and that we need to be right. We need to be justified. A beautiful act of justification that comes by faith in Jesus Christ where we are declared not guilty. We are declared not guilty through faith in Christ and his work. We are declared righteous because of Jesus. His righteousness becomes ours. His blood washes us clean and makes us holy. And we are made right, justified out of that. And out of that, as a piece of that, as a consequence of that, we have peace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Therefore, since you've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It's a status of peace. It's not just a feeling or a circumstance of peace, but it is being put at peace with the holy God. Justified. 
And out of that status, it makes it possible for us to be at peace with everyone else in our lives. Do you realize that? Because we are at peace with God, because of Christ Jesus, and he has justified us and made us right before God, there is the potential, the possibility for all of us to be at peace with all of us in this room. We are able to be at peace with everyone else in our lives, even if they don't like us. For the believer, all of life, and even peace, it's a vertical thing, not a horizontal thing. Not a horizontal thing. Peace is from a prince of peace, who is our peace, and establishes a kingdom of peace. And of that, of the increase of that, of his kingdom and of peace, there will be no end. And I know that circumstantially, it gets real tough sometimes. When there is discord in a relationship, when there is a rift between brothers and sisters, I know it is hard sometimes. But I truly, truly believe that when the gospel establishes itself in our lives through Christ and through the power of his Holy Spirit alive in a person, that it doesn't, like, no matter what those other people are doing, no, what, no matter what that other person is doing, I can still be at peace with God and even with them. They might be just ticked off, Abby. They might be so upset with me. They might think that I've caused so much harm in their life or whatever it is. But when I humble myself before the Lord, when I humble myself before Jesus, and I am put at peace with him, and I know that my entire life is on the table, that I've laid it all before Christ, and I've submitted it all before him, and between he and I, I am good. I can love that person who might be my enemy. I can be at peace right here in my heart, not wrestling with this inner turmoil, but I can go, you know what? I know that there is discord, but I'm going to love them. I know there is discord, but I'm going to lay myself down for them because of that love that Christ has shown me in coming to this earth, reaching down, laying himself down for me. I, in this moment, I can lay myself down for them. And I can be at peace between me and God and my brothers and sisters. All problems are gospel problems. All peace problems are gospel problems. Discord, lack of peace, right? Felt, experienced when someone who is broken hurts you. Someone who is hurt hurts you, right? Hurt people hurt people. Ever heard that phrase? Right? It's a cute little phrase that we like to use, but it's true, right? We know it's true. Hurt people hurt people. People who are in pain cause pain. Right? And we feel it when someone inflicts that on us, someone who is broken or in pain or even sometimes just downright sinful. They act out of that hurt and that pain and that brokenness and sin. Right? You've experienced it. I've experienced it. We experience it on a daily basis. We have the hardest time, especially when that person's a believer. It's really interesting. Like, I, I feel like we, start, we talk about this stuff, and when, it, when we're talking about those sinners out there in the world, we know we got to be gracious with them because they just don't get it, right? They just don't understand. Like, they're just sinners being sinners, right? 
But then we experience that within these walls. And then we're just like, all of a sudden, grace is off the table. It's like, they should know better. Come on. They should know better. Oh, and then you're, and then you're all in, in, a, in a huff about it. Because they should know better. Brothers and sisters, they should know better. My wife should know better. My husband should know better. My, whoever it is. And it's true. They probably should. Especially if they're a believer. They got the, the Spirit of God living inside of them. They got the Word of God in front of them. But that person didn't act like Jesus in that moment. They, acted, they didn't act out of their relationship with Jesus in that moment. They acted out of their flesh and out of their hurts and out of their pain and out of their brokenness and out of their sin. And yes, it's a gospel problem for them. That's the horizontal, right? That's the relationship. And in that relationship, in that horizontal relationship, there's a seed of discord that is then sown into that relationship. There's a crack in the relationship where that seed of discord can grow. And then we respond, right? This is the opportunity. Right here is everything. Because this is where it gets really, really, really good or really, 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 really bad. Right? When somebody doesn't act out of the gospel, when somebody responds out of brokenness and sin and pain and hurts, And we then now have that great opportunity to respond to it. In that reaction, there's a beautiful opportunity to apply the gospel, to live the gospel, to love with the gospel, with that love that reaches, with that love that gives of itself to the death of me. There's a beautiful opportunity to die to yourself and to your offended state And instead of responding likewise out of your flesh, likewise out of the hurts and the offense that was just caused you, and instead responding out of the Spirit's work inside of you. So we do... We do welcome dinners uh, every so often. And if you've been new to the church over the last few months, I'm really sorry we haven't had one in a while, and it's my fault. Completely my fault. Just It's been a busy season. There's been some sickness, and so like every time we try to, it's just like, it's not time. But sometime soon, January's coming. You guys, now, now, now I said it, now you guys got to hold me to it. We're going to do another welcome dinner. If you've been new to the church in the last few months and you've never been to one, you're going to be invited to come to my house and have dinner with us. And it's awesome because we get to talk about the philosophy of the church and the heart of the church and what like makes us tick around here and how we're just like trying to keep it simple. We're just trying to simply hand out the word of God, submit ourselves to the word of God and actually live in authentic biblical community. That's it. Not a big programs church, not a big got to have all these different systems and programs or whatever and maybe we'll get better at that but I'm not, I'm not good at it. I want to keep it simple. I want to keep it relational and I want to keep it on the gospel period. Okay, so, but with that, it's cool because people come to our house and they have dinner with us and we get to know them. And inevitably, people go, start to exp- like share what they experience here at Mercy Hill Church. And it's great because I think that God is doing some awesome things here at Mercy Hill Church. And like people talk about how they're experiencing like something unique because they were hurt by this church and they were hurt over here at this church and they experienced this over at this church and like they've experienced this over at this church and they hurt them over here and whatever and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, in the back of my head, I'm just going, ah. Oh stinks because I'm probably going to hurt him at some point. Because peoples is peoples. If I've learned anything from uh, the Muppets Take Manhattan, is that peoples is peoples. That's a line from that movie. 
I always say with my kids. People are people. People's is people's. Okay? And people hurt people. And what's going to be beautiful about this church is not that we don't hurt people, because we're going to hurt people. We're not going to avoid it. We're going to do it unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. But what's going to be awesome is in this response. When somebody hurts me and somebody acts out of that brokenness, I don't just jump into my flesh and jump down their throats and thus cause more turmoil, brokenness, hurt, and a lack of peace. If I can respond out of the gospel, if I can respond and walk in the spirit instead of my flesh, how unique and amazing would that church be? That's my hope and prayer for this congregation. That's my hope and prayer for my own life. That I don't fall for that trap that the enemy lays before us. And I know this, like this is hard for us. This is hard for me. Actually living and believing the gospel is hard. For people to walk with Jesus for years and years and years, even those people, this is hard because it's all about dying to ourselves and as I referenced earlier, man, I think a lot of times die to self, dying to self is just some cute little religious phrase we use. When it comes down to it, it's really hard to do. It's not the embodied mantra of our lives. It's hard. And it's hard for us because of government. Let me rephrase that. Not the government. <laughs> There's enough problems with the government um, but it's about governance. This is a hard thing for us because of governance. I've, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, right? Like, and you see it in, our, in that uh, prophecy from the book of Isaiah, right? Of his governance, the increase of his governance and of peace, there will be no end. There's a connection there between governance and peace. A couple of years ago, I used the illustration. I, I mentioned the illustration. I think it resonated with some of you. Maybe some of you have played this game with uh, in the wintertime. We had the snow just the other day. I was thinking maybe it might be time. But growing up, we'd play King of the Mountain, right? Big piles of snow. Snowplow would come, make this big pile of snow, and we'd play King of the Mountain. And the goal was what? To get on top of that mountain and don't get pushed off. And if anybody else was on top of that mountain, you get up there and you push them off. It's a blast. Hours of fun. That little game is being played in my heart every moment of the day. King of the mountain. Who's going to be king of my life? And again, I, it's one of those things. It's just the struggle of Christianity. It's just the struggle of the flesh versus the spirit, on and on and on. Jesus purchased me by his blood. It's a costly price. Shed his own blood laid down his life, and purchased mine. And unfortunately, I like to give him about three-quarters of it. <laughs> he purchased like three-quarters. No, he purchased all of it. And I still try to hold on to this part over here where Kevin is going to be king of the mountain. He's going to be king of this portion of my life. But he bought it all, and I need to enthrone that Prince of Peace, King Jesus, over all of it. Allow him to establish his kingdom in my heart and life. And yes, establish it over the living of my life. When he does that, his spirit comes and dwells in us. 
sits on the throne of our hearts and it affects our living. We live by him, by his spirit. But yet my flesh wants to be king of the mountain. Maybe think of that familiar passage in Galatians chapter 5 this this week, Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's really hard to do. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other. They're not at peace with one another. They are opposed to each other. It's the way it's supposed to be, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh wants gratification. It has desires and The flesh wants those desires to be satisfied. Those desires are insatiable. It's insatiable for power and control and for vengeance and retribution. And the flesh is not so much about reformation. Actually, I would contend that the flesh cannot be reformed. Instead, it needs to be crucified. I think I see that in Scripture. Instead of trying to shine up and polish up our flesh... You know, to be that better version of Kevin, instead I need to take that all back like gold yeller tied to a tree and shoot it. It's a dark reference, right? I use that reference all the time around staff, usually about like church events. Like, let's take that all back and tie it to a tree. Let's, let's get rid of that. My flesh needs to be crucified. But that flesh wants gratification. And so every time there's that opportunity, somebody wrongs me, somebody hurts me, somebody operates out of their sin, all of a sudden there's the opportunity for the gospel and to walk by the Spirit or to gratify the old man, to gratify the flesh, to perpetuate the chaos and the discord and shoot, (laughs) instead of killing the flesh, killing that opportunity for peace. And unity between fellow men. When we walk by the Spirit, empowered by Him, this isn't some pie-in-the-sky hope. Like, man, it'd be nice if I could live this way, but it's a commandment. We are commanded to walk by the Spirit. The Spirit of God made us new, so we dive into Him, we press into Him, and we walk by the Spirit. We crucify the flesh. And when we are doing this, Our living flows out of that. Our living flows out of the gospel's work in us, and our responses are no longer sinful and perpetuating discord, but rather promoting peace and bringing glory to Christ. Think about the text in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 14. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Ah, man, they persecuted me. There's the opportunity. Flesh rise up. Get them back. Persecute them back. No. Out of the Spirit, I'm to bless them. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one for evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. 
Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It sounds like peace to me. Another great verse back in Proverbs chapter 16 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Right? Back to the vertical. This is a, this is a me and Jesus thing far more than it is a me and you thing. This is a me and Jesus thing. When a man's ways please the Lord, when I am operating, when I am working to obey and live by the Spirit of God, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Last text I want to look at this morning before we uh, conclude. Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 11, it says this. I'm going to just go through this briefly after this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Right? Speaking to Gentiles. This is who you were. This, is, this was the status before. Sounds like discord. Sounds like separation. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you, were, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Praise Jesus. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I think most of us understand the context here. And it's it, like you get the picture in this text. But essentially what you have here is you've got Jews and Gentiles. And there's this division between them, right? This is God's holy people, God's chosen people, God's people of covenant and promise. And it references circumcision, right? Circumcision being that mark of that covenant between God and his people. I will be your God, you will be my people. Circumcision as that mark and sign of that. Then you've got Gentiles. That's anyone outside of Israel. These are the nations. These are Greeks. These are Romans. These are Asia Minor. It is everybody outside of Israel. The nation, the ethnicity, the Hebrew people. These were nations. These were pagan nations. These were idolatrous nations. They were considered 
dirty, unclean, and vile. They were the uncircumcision. They were not part of the covenant. They were not part of the promise. They were outside of that. And there's a wall that creates a huge wall. The dividing wall of hostility between them. It's ethnic. It's racial. It's nationalistic. But even more so, like I said, it's religious and it's covenantal. But Christ comes. But Christ comes. And he establishes a new covenant that is made in his blood. And through Christ Jesus, God is going to save the nations. That through Christ Jesus, those who are far off, those who are not people of promise or covenant, those who are dirty and vile and unclean, through Christ Jesus, through his blood, there's a new covenant that is made, and he is going to save the nations. That is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. To anyone who would believe, to anyone who would believe on Christ and be indwelt by his spirit. The far off being brought near by the blood, right? Being brought near by this new covenant in Christ. Those who were far off, those who were divided, made one by the cross of Christ and thereby killing the hostility. And get this, like, and this might be the most important part to all of this. They're united together, joined together as a place of holy worship. Jews, Gentiles, divided, separated, wall of hostility. Through Christ, the wall comes down. They are made one people under Christ to be built together as a holy place of worship. A place for the Spirit of God to dwell. Read verse 19 again. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We take this for granted. Us church people, we don't get the impact of this. You know, we, don't, we don't understand how awesome, it, like you were without God and without hope. You were strangers. You were, there was nothing for you. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ and this new covenant in him. Verse 20 says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He justifies us. He puts us at peace with God. He reconciles us to himself, putting us at peace with him. And then he brings peace between hostile men. Men that there's a big division between. Brings peace between them, not just for them, not just for their hearts, not just for an absence of conflict, which in itself can be huge, right? When you're in the middle of that, just that absence of conflict and that peace, that (sighs) moment is huge. But it's not just for that. It's for his glory that these hostile people would be joined together as a holy temple and a dwelling place for God. That's us. 
That is us. That is why it is so important to be at peace with one another because we are a holy institution. What we do here on a Sunday is not just get out of bed, put some gel in your hair, rub the crusties out of your eyes, and come sing a few songs and hear a guy with some encouraging words, sometimes encouraging words. It's not just like we are something holy because of Christ and his blood. When there's something dividing us, he's going to come into that and he's going to tear it down by his blood, by his work, because we are now one to be a place of worship for him. So what about you? We probably don't deal with the same uh, Jews and Gentile thing as they did back then. What about you? What is your dividing wall of hostility? What hurts or pain or sin has caused you to be at odds with your fellow man? Maybe it's within your own household. Whatever it is, where's the wall? This morning, I would implore you to let the work of Christ Jesus, let the coming of Christ Jesus, let the advent of Christ, let that come into your heart right now this morning. That the blood of Christ, who is our peace, who puts us at peace with the Father, let Jesus come and break down those walls this morning. Follow the gospel's call to die to yourself. Follow the gospel's call to stay. Like, stop falling for the trap of the enemy, that trap of offense and retribution. Stop gratifying the flesh in your responses, but bring all of that hurts and all of that pain, all of it, bring it all to Jesus and allow him to take it. He's just longing to take it. He's long, like, do you understand that? When we are hurting and we are wrestling with this stuff, it's not like Jesus is just sitting there with his arms crossed going, man, I wish you'd just figure it out. Come on, kid. Stop being so dumb. Stop holding on to all of that offense. Stop holding on to all that hurt and pain and brokenness. Ugh. I can't help but think that he's just sitting there going, son, daughter, I paid it all for you. Don't carry that. I took that to the cross for you. Stop carrying that. Give it to me. And experience the love and the hope and the joy and the peace that I came to give you. Give it to him. Allow him to heal it. Allow him to heal you. And then keep walking by the Spirit and applying the gospel to all of your relationships. When the vertical is good, Horizontal will follow. Keep responding to the gospel. Actually living the gospel even when it's super, super hard. Not just us in our little church worlds and our little cute little religious sayings. Like this is where like this is where it's huge. This is where it's revolutionary. This is like this, is, this piece of Christmas is huge if we get it. I'm going to ask the band to come. And I'm going to pray. And I'd like us to respond this morning. 
as the Holy Spirit has prompted you, as the Holy Spirit has spoken to you in this service, and I know he's faithful to do it. He's been speaking to me. I, I, I love it. I, there are times where I am prepping a sermon or even preaching a sermon, and I will stop and go, oh, that, that's, for, that's for me. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I, I'm preaching to me right now. There's been a lot in the last two weeks where that's been the case, and I love it. I, I consider it God's grace in my life that I get to do what I do. He has a peace for us. He has a peace for you and your relationships. Submit to him. Submit to him. And allow the gospel's work to work in you. And then reach Die to yourself and reach. Die to yourself and love. Die to yourself and bring the peace of Christ into those relationships. Let's pray and let's respond. Father, again, we thank you and praise you. You are so good to us. You are so faithful to us. I thank you that you came to this earth, that you put on flesh. God, and you know what we go through. God, you've experienced the brokenness. You've experienced the hurts. You were mocked and reviled. You experienced those moments of of discord, the lack of peace, God, that we experience on a daily basis. You answer all of it. Your gospel answers all of it. You and your work answers all of it. Holy Spirit, come and cause us, help us to live in accordance with your word. Help us to boldly live the gospel, to apply the gospel in the most hurtful of situations. It's not to hold on to our offense. It's not to hold on to our hurt, to not hold on to our sin. It's to humbly and boldly give it to you. And we would live out of the gospel and that this church would just be a, just a super bright city on a hill that it would be a place of unity of love where people would experience you in a just a supernatural way and so God for those in this room that are struggling today I know that your spirit is faithful please move Please break down what needs to be broken down. Please tear down pride. Please tear down flesh. God, cause us to be made new by your Spirit, to walk by your Spirit daily. God, please help us not gratify the flesh. Help us not fall for the traps of the enemy to just lean back into the flesh. Let us give. Let us give of ourselves. Walk by the Spirit. Build us up together as a holy place of worship of the name of Jesus. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together.